Home for Christmas is our theme. We start today in Bethlehem, a place we know where Jesus was as an infant. Next week, we're going to talk about that house in Bethlehem where the Magi came to give him gifts. The following week, we'll be talking about Jesus as a refugee in Egypt during his preschool years, as we would call those years, and then his return not to Bethlehem, but to Nazareth so that he eventually would be called the Nazarene and Christians would be called the sect of the Nazarenes and will culminate the series with my father's house which was the temple in the reference from his 12th year and finally at the end of the year I've asked Taylor Rutland to address the question about the Father's house in John 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. So that's how we're going to wrap up the year. All right? And today, we're thinking about the most dramatized part of the life of Jesus, his infancy. When I was a boy, we got together the sheets and the towels. We wrapped ourselves up. We got some sticks, and we played shepherds and wise men, and Mary, and Joseph, and the baby, and how many of us did that? We grew up doing that. The creche, the nativity scene, is the most recognizable religious symbol for Christmas. I have been to the church of the nativity and stood in line in the darkness of that cavernous church dimly lit that day. It was dark and I was trying to, you know, be happy and converse with my friends and the priest actually called me down in the church of the nativity. Shh, please, sir. So I had to hush, which was okay. I was making too much noise, I guess, for somebody there. But it seemed to me that these are tidings of great joy which shall be to all people, joy to the world. The Lord has come, needs to be happy when we come to the church of the nativity, but that particular day, and I think most days, maybe you've been, they wear the dark clothes, the black, the altar looks black, it's dimly lit. You go through this door after you stood in line for a long time, and you go down into a grotto. You keep going down, 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 until finally you duck your head and enter a chasm, a cave underneath the church. I went all the way until I bent over and touched the star embedded in the rock where they say Jesus was born. I don't know if he was born there, okay? But I wanted to touch the, the rock anyway. And it was, it was down underground. The truth is that the fields around Bethlehem have these caves and I've been in several of them, and I took a picture of one of those caves, just a circle of rocks, and you can see the overhang where you might take some sheep and put them in there, maybe feed them, protect them from the wolves uh, that might want to prey upon the lambs. It would be a pretty good place if you could get them in there, sort of capture them for the night. And it was a kind of ordinary thing in the fields of Bethlehem to have a cave turned into a stable where there might be a manger and you might feed the sheep there and call them in at night to protect them, okay? So some people think that it was a cave 
where Jesus was born. Other folks have drawn the simple wooden structure that we're all familiar with. We see it in the malls. We have it in our tables. It is the nativity scene with the little stable and some hay and the baby Jesus in a manger. And when you see that scene, there is no question in your mind that that's baby Jesus, all right? You know it. Everybody in the world knows, well, not everybody, but most everybody knows this is baby Jesus, and that's Mary and Joseph. And those guys with the crooked staff, they are the shepherds. I want you to think about the nativity scene this morning. Meditate a little bit on the scene itself. Built from the phrase that Quincy read, they laid him in a manger. That prepositional phrase, in a manger, used three times in the second chapter of Luke. That's the totality of what we know about this place where Jesus was born. There was no room for him in the inn. They laid him in a manger. From the manger, we get the hay, we get the animals, we get the stable. We surmise these other things, but we know that he was laid in a manger. And the manger is where they put the hay so the cattle, the sheep, the goats, the donkeys could eat the hay. What do you see when you look at the nativity scene? I want to share some things I see, all right? I see necessity. It was necessary for Joseph and Mary to find a place. Tradition has it that she was already in labor when they arrived at the inn. Of course, nobody knows that for sure, but they have plaques along the way, the likely route that Joseph and Mary took, and you can read about how she was in labor in this particular field there. My brothers and I called it the field of contractions. We don't know for sure, but I tell you what, when you start having a baby, what are you going to do? Governor Jindal told uh, a group of us at the mansion about delivering one of his children. You know, they didn't make it to the hospital. Children are born in taxis. They're born in bathrooms. Sometimes they're born beside the road. Jesus was born in a stable. It was necessary to find a place, and so they did. Maybe you are living out necessity right now. If you'd had MapQuest and sat down for a while and plotted out your life, you might not have planned where you now are. You're there nonetheless. The Christmas nativity scene should be an encouragement to you in this place of necessity in your life that God's there too and he's watching over you. And necessity may have brought you to this place, but it is a place of transition for you. 
You're not permanently there in that stable with that baby. In just a few days at the most, you will be in a better place, in a place that Joseph plans, and maybe you'll stay there for a long time. It's a necessary place, and it's a place of transition. Some of you are in transition this Christmas. Some of you young couples are going through transition just like Mary and Joseph went through transition. And you know that you're not at the permanent place. It's okay. If this Christmas you are on a journey and maybe your destination is not quite known yet, but you are transitioning from one era of your life to another, then you look at the nativity scene and you thank God that he is present in the transitions of life to watch over his people, even though it's hard sometimes when you're in a temporary place and you know it, it's still okay because God is there and he watches over you like he watched over the infant Jesus and Joseph and Mary. He's caring for you in the transition of your life. I look at the crash and I see necessity. And I say, Lord, in my necessity, be my strength and wisdom. And if it is a time of transition, help me do this transition with grace. I look at the crash and I see simplicity. It's so simple that your eyes are immediately drawn to what is in the middle of the nativity scene, which is always Jesus in the manger. If the stable had been full of flat screen TVs and the newest technological devices, you might have overlooked a baby in the manger. You may be looking for your Black Friday Best Buy when you look at the scene. And our lives are packed full of all kind of gadgets and things that blink and talk. Our lives are full of sound and flashing lights and screens. And maybe this Christmas would be a good time to remember the simplicity of the manger scene. A little hay, a little wood, a baby in a manger. And realize it is the simple things of life that feed your soul and are most valuable. I pray that you will enjoy the simplicity of Christ this Christmas. The Apostle Paul was afraid that some of those who trusted Christ would be drawn away like Eve was tempted by the serpent and their minds would be turned from the simplicity which is in Christ. Here is a mystery that you will never fully understand how God becomes man in Jesus of Nazareth. We confess it and believe it, though we cannot fully explain it. But that's okay because we're talking about the nature and character and work of God and our arms can't get around that. It's too big for our brains. We cannot comprehend it. We can't encircle it with our logic because God's bigger than us. He's bigger than our brains, all right? 
We can't get there. It remains a mystery that God became man in Jesus, and that's okay. There's lots of mysteries in the world. I discovered one this morning. I was getting out my Tic Tacs, and they are green. But now they're spotted white. The only thing I can figure is that some little grandchildren got those Tic Tacs out and carried them around in their hands till they wore off the green and then put them back in the little plastic box. Yes, I went ahead and ate them. All right? But actually, I don't know. It's a mystery to me, and you know what? It probably will never be solved, that mystery. Life is full of mysteries. It makes life richer. If you think you know everything, you are seriously handicapped and deluded. You just don't, and you never will. You're not going to have all the answers. There is a simplicity in trusting Christ that you embrace at Christmas time. It is represented in the manger scene, in the nativity of Jesus. Simple wood, simple hay, Christ child in the middle. Can you make your Christmas that way? Can you keep the Christ of Christmas in the middle of your scene, your home, your heart? I look at the crash and I see family. I mean, it's evident. Joseph and Mary are there with the baby. We assume it's Joseph and Mary. It's an artist's rendition. Somebody put it together with their creativity and artistry, but we know that that's Joseph and Mary at either end of the manger. Isn't God wonderful to provide for his one and only son and entrust to a teenage girl pediatrics, nutrition, emergency medicine, and all this infant will need. He gives to his son, parents, to care for him. When you look at the nativity, you see family. There are lots of things going on this Christmas. But you have an opportunity this Christmas to work toward reconciliation which is so vitally important to you and your loved ones. If there are relationships that have been broken or strained, you're about to see those parents, those siblings, maybe those cousins, those aunts and uncles. They are important people in your life. You are called to love them. You have an opportunity to put family in the center of your Christmas. I hope that you will do that. I hope no spouses in this room will be fighting over things that will be gone completely 30 days after Christmas or maybe 30 minutes. I hope that we'll not have family conflict over things that really don't matter. I hope somehow we can come to the table with grace and truth and keep Christ in the middle and not let the little stuff 
draw us away from the reason we celebrate? Can you make family the center? Can you call them together? Can you love them? Can you build bridges to those who are alienated? Can you repair the broken places? Christmas is a great opportunity for you to do that. It's natural for you to call the family together and hear, read the scripture before you have the meal, before you open the presents, turn to the word of God and again rehearse the simple story of the birth of Christ. You can do that. You can take a minute. Even those who do not believe will give you permission to make that a part of Christmas morning, Christmas Eve evening, if, if you do the Christmas Eve. And to just stop and put that baby right where he needs to be, in your family, in your celebration, in your life. I see family when I look at the nativity scene. And I see security. Maybe you don't. I had to think about this one for a while because that wooden stable looks a little flimsy to me. Sometimes it's just four sticks. One, two, three, four. And that's all it is. And you might think when you look at the nativity, wow, that thing may fall down pretty easy. The truth is there isn't any finished carpentry in the manger scene or the stable or the cave. It's all basic and rough. But somehow there's a sense of peace when you look. When you study it, when you see that Christ child in the manger, isn't there a sense of peace that comes over your soul? It looks peaceful to me. There's a star above oftentimes and the shepherds bowing and holding their staff. Now these shepherds, you may think, are meek and mild people who wouldn't know how to handle trouble if it came their way. If you thought that, you'd be sorely mistaken. An ancient observer said that when the shepherds in Bethlehem go out to the fields, they are armed to the teeth. They are ready for battle with vil villains two-legged and four-legged. Thieves come in to take the sheep and the shepherds are ready to defend them. The wolves come in to take the sheep and the shepherds are there to beat them off. They go with their swords, their knives, their stakes, their spears, and they head out to take care of the sheep. Where do you think the boy David got his training for taking down Goliath in that famous battle? He recounts it to King Saul. It was when he was defending his sheep. And the most vulnerable of all the sheep are the babies. The shepherd who has sheep on our farm told me this week, he said, we've stopped putting the very little ones on your farm because there are predators out there. He said it was interesting. We could see it happen day by day. The smallest lambs disappeared first. And then the ones that were slightly larger. Until they got up to 30 or 40 pounds, he said, and they wouldn't bother them. So now they're moving the lambs to our farm when they get to be 40 pounds or more. But when they're little bitty, the wolves, the coyotes, the foxes get them. Humans are 
more vulnerable when they are newly born than at almost any other time in their lives. It's why we record infant mortality and talk about how well the infants are doing. If anybody had threatened baby Jesus, those shepherds would have took care of them. When I look at the crash, I see the shepherds and it comforts me because I know they're ready to do battle. I've heard that about the angels in the field and some of the scenes of the nativity have angels in them. I suspect the angels are right there, don't you? Jesus said that the angels guard the little ones and take care of them. They have an angel that takes care of them. Now, I like to think about that. Don't you know that baby Jesus had angels watching over him? Do you feel insecure or afraid this Christmas? Does the world feel like it's moving under your feet? Maybe you don't know what the future is and you're worried about a lot of things. If you could look at the manger scene and hear the angels sing and see the shepherds bow and know this is God's handiwork in a troubled world, maybe you could experience the peace the angels sang about. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I hope and pray for you this Christmas that you will have peace in your heart and your home, that it'll be a peaceful season for you. And the commercialism of the season and all the bills that seem to pile up, that you will be careful and disciplined in how you spend your money, that you won't disrupt your Christmas by going beyond your means and knowing that you're doing so. But instead, that you will enjoy the peace of a disciplined life, the peace that comes from trusting in Christ as Savior and Lord, that you'll rest right there. That you'll know the angels watch over you like they watched over baby Jesus. And a sovereign God attends to you every day that you live and breathe. It's hard sometimes to realize what God is up to in your life. You forget how much he loves you, how closely he watches you, how faithful he is day after day. God was doing something in Bethlehem, bringing into the world his one and only son. All of this was in order that one day you might realize you needed a Savior and confessing your sin, receive Christ as Lord. And having received Christ, knowing the wonder of forgiveness and God's amazing grace, you live in the world in a new way with peace in your heart, a song on your lips, because God made a way through his son Jesus for you. Paul said to me and to you, he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He's taken down the walls, the barriers that keep you from one another, that disturb your life and trouble your soul. 
And he himself is peace to you. Scripture also says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. I don't know if you ever thought about a peaceful God crushing things. But our God is a God of peace and a God of strength. And whatever comes against you this holiday season, he is able to deliver. He is able to rescue. He is able to provide. You trust him. Looking at that nativity scene, I see necessity. I see simplicity. I see family. I see security. Let's bow together. Would you take a big breath as you bow before the Lord? Let it out slow and say, God, give me your peace. I want to pray, Lord, for the one who is troubled today, disturbed on the inside. God, I pray for her that you might give her your peace, that she might know the security of the Savior's love and the Father's care. I pray for that one whose Christmas is so complicated, so full of stuff and things, that the baby's been lost. God, I pray this Christmas that you will help that man bring the Christ child back into the middle of the celebration day by day. I pray for that young couple who are in a time of transition. Necessity has put them maybe in an uncomfortable place that you will give them grace to love one another, to hold to each other, to not blame each other, but to care for one another in the time of necessity because we know, God, you're going to bring them through. Oh, Christ of Christmas, give us your peace so we can share it with our world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.